I guess like I guess I have I do have a fantasy of what art school is like. I think a lot of people do, where you're like you're sort of lazing around like a beautiful campus, and there's like art around you, and all your friends are like on drugs and doing cool experiments all the time, and like you're like you have like four years sort of like in a womb where you're not in touch with reality, or like I guess that's what I think art school should be. That was that was kind of my experience in college because I studied creative writing, which is like you know the word version of it. It's like the same scam. But yeah, I, I based like the layout of the game on the Pratt campus because when I first moved here, I was living in Bed-Stuy and I would just, I didn't really have a job or anything. So I'd go hang out there all day. How do you actually make the transition from creative writing into being a, a time artist? So when I, when I graduated, I got a job in New York for this guy who was kind of uh, starting an ad agency out of his house. And he hired me as like a quote unquote junior creative. And, you know, I walked his dog and moved his car and stuff. Um, <laughs> You're a glorified intern, basically. Yeah, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't say glorified, <laughs> glorified. but um, it was, I mean, it was dope. It was a lot of fun. And like, I, I ended up getting to do a lot of stuff. But one thing that I did was like correspond with illustrators that mm. we were hiring for stuff. And uh, I guess up until that point, like I didn't even realize there were people that did that. I, I didn't realize that you could like just kind of do cool projects for a job. I, I met these guys that ran this design, or they still run the studio called Dark Igloo, and they were just these like two cool bros that like work out of this apartment with like toys all around them, and they just kind of do whatever projects they want. And so after working at an ad agency for a year, I I, I thought like that's like a that's a great career path, right? Just like go do whatever you want all day. Uh, and like at the at the time, I thought like that's a great plan. That's so solid. Like it can't possibly not work out. I mean, it seems to have worked out reasonably well at this point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, was, yeah, that was a long time ago. It took a, it took a little while well, for you I to get did, there. I did a lot of like you know odd jobs and stuff in yeah. the meantime. Like yeah, but yeah, it, it it's kind of worked out so far. So you were you were making work though on on the computer in the meantime, primarily for yourself. I I've been making work on the computer since I was like fourteen because uh, when I was at in high school, I got involved in this website called Threadless, which was like a t-shirt design community. And uh, I think I think I was 15 I, and I sold a design to them and they, they sent me a check for like $2,000. And I, like as a teen, I thought like I'll never have to work again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I and basically like that's like that was kind of like the business model that I followed like forever. Like since then, like I've tried a lot of other things, but it kind of keeps coming back to me just like sitting there. And like making things that I would like to see and then trying to find a place that will buy them. How do you actually get into game development? When does that come along? I think, when did Flappy Bird come out? 2013. Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Flappy uh, Bird was your well, just, gateway I, I into never, <laughs> Yeah, it kind of was. Yeah. It's I, like if this guy can make money exactly, doing this, like clearly. Exactly. It's I like inspiring like how stupid of a thing it was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't really grow up with video games, um, so they were always like quite mystical to me. So I, I really started playing games when I got an iPhone. Yeah, when Flappy Bird came out and it was like in the news and people were going nuts for it, I, I put together a really quick game called Cloudy Town uh, and I hired a developer in India to do the code. Uh, it took about a week and then I was a game developer. Are you a little more involved in the entirety of the process at this point or are you still outsourcing a lot of it? Uh, I outsourced a lot of the code on Art School. I'm trying to get better. At, I, I made a prototype for Art School and it wasn't good enough to release. But, so I gave the prototype to a developer who finished it. Uh, my goal for the next game is to do everything myself because I'm like extreme micromanager, like nano manager. Take me through the process of actually developing a game or at least what what you're doing on your end and how that's different from, you know, writing and drawing an animation or, or doing a comic? Well, in a lot of ways, it's the same. 
because you start with the big idea of what you want to make and then you kind of figure out all the different pieces that need to go into it and then you make the pieces and then you put them together and if if it, it works then you're done <laughs> and if it doesn't work you have, you have to make some hard decisions the only thing that's really different with the game i guess is that there's more communication with an outside party which is the developer um and then and then releasing it is a lot more like releasing a product than releasing a work of art you know especially in like the steam ecosystem it seems like there's potentially a lot more moving parts and a lot more that can go wrong with a video game yeah uh that's true that's actually what's really nice about working with a developer is if something's not working, I just I just tell them in like one sentence, you know? <laughs> I can like set them up to do like a week's worth of work with just like one little one little touch of a button. I, I honestly don't really even know what goes into a game like that though. I mean a lot of it's a mystery, you know. I delegated it. <laughs> it was up to this point, but now it sounds like you're what you're kind of sitting down and teaching yourself how to do coding. I'm taking tutorials on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, I'm I'm old now. Like my brain <laughs> Is like having a harder and harder time, like picking up new skills and and uh, learning new ways of doing things. So it's it's like when I see like fourteen year olds that can like learn how to code really quickly, it just makes me realize it's like maybe maybe I just need a fourteen year old working for me. You know? Do you find it's useful though to learn how to 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 do coding? I mean, is it is it useful for problem solving, storytelling? Yeah, I think it's always it's always useful to come at things with a different approach or learn a new approach. In the abstract, yeah. Why did art school end up as a game versus, I mean, it could have been any number of, of different genres. Uh, I think it started out as, well, originally what happened was last year I decided I was going to make a feature film. And as I was, as I was like trying to put together an outline for that, the ideas that I had just seemed like they made more sense as a video game. Uh, and so with a lot of my projects, it kind of starts out that way where I think I'm doing one thing and then it just, as I'm working, it feels like it's going to be better in a different form. One of the really interesting things I think about this book, and I think this is covered pretty well in the blurb, is the idea that these are all sort of, to some degree, self-contained short stories. You first pick it up, and it looks kind of like a collection of gags. But it's something a little bit different than that, right? I mean, it's not just a series of panels leading up to a punchline, necessarily. It seems like you're telling a little bit more of a story here. With these sort of individual characters, some of them kind of spill over into other stories. Yeah, there's a little bit of like a of like a universe going on. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I guess I don't really think of them as gag comics. Like, I think they're they're more like fables, where like you know, it's like there's an interesting situation, and then you know, the main character does something, and then they're either rewarded or punished at the end. Uh, like, I, that's not something I did intentionally, but I was reading through the book earlier today, and I realized that's pretty much what happens in all of them. So, same question for these. How, how did these end up being comics again versus anything else? I mean, why, why were they more fit for this? Most of the comics in the book were commissioned, so they had to be comics. <laughs> Somebody was sort of sitting down with a kind of like a, a, like a weekly deadline and... and Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think with almost everything that's in the book, it like none of it was anything that like hit me with a lightning strike of inspiration. Yep. Like with almost all of them, it was me sitting down and like you can kind of tell because a lot like if you went to my apartment, you would see a lot of like toys or things around that like are just the characters in the book. Like the the big star of the book, Cuppy, is a mug because I was looking at a mug when it was time to make the comic. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing, I basically just like, I have to start with a noun. I have to find a noun somewhere. Uh, 
you know, cup, tennis, bathroom, uh, and then just like go from there. How does tennis enter into your apartment? Oh, because I have a fly swatter that looks like a tennis racket. So these really just sort of came for having to, again, sort of get something, get something out the door, it sounds like. I guess, yeah. 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 (laughs) Not that, not that like it's like a burden to make them or, you know. I mean, do do you find it useful to have a deadline? I can't do anything without a deadline. It's so hard. Um, I, I think like almost everything I've ever done has been either for a client or made like kind of as a gift to someone or has had someone expecting it. Trying to sort of sit down and do a feature length film is, is moving around that to some degree. That's something you've really obviously got to commit yourself to for an extended period of time. Well, I think I could get it done pretty yeah. quickly. You know, I think what's, you know, 80 minutes, you know, I could, I could probably do five minutes of animation a day if I was really inspired by something. So I'm trying to, basically what I've been trying to do is figure out uh, an idea for a feature film that I can make before I get sick of working on it. You can turn around um, a short film in a day or so? I think I, I think uh, I could like rely on myself to do like a good minute or two minutes of animation in a day. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your about your style. I mean, it's pretty consistent, I think, across the, the comics, the video games, everything else. When When did you really settle into that? Almost right away when I started doing 3D, I kind of like, I kind of knew what the language that I wanted to use was, which Mm -hmm. is like simple geometric shapes and like, uh, these little pill eyeballs. I, I first learned how to draw through this book called Ed Emberly Make a World. Yeah. They, they probably have that here. It's like a kid's drawing book and it's like a super instructional book that basically is like, oh, if you put, if you have a square, and then two circles, and then another square, you just made a car, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like it's like hundreds of these little diagrams. And I got that book when I was 22, <laughs> and that's like that's when I learned how to draw, and I basically uh, translated that approach into 3D. I mean, usually, like, most of these drawing books are, like, you put down the basic geometric shapes, and then you do something No, it doesn't go any it further. It doesn't go any no, further No, it stops at the shapes, yeah. yeah. Do you feel, though, that your style is, is continuing to evolve? Uh, I think, like... I, I, I definitely hit a wall a little while back, but uh, I, now I'm trying some new things. It hit a wall just as far as... Well, I, I feel like I've, I just kind of like I settled into this like language that I like using, yeah. and, and I'm really more interested in like the writing and the structure than like the pictorial representations, you know? Uh, what I like about working in 3D is like it's really easy to very quickly get things to a point of legibility, you know? You put a face on anything and you have a character to work with. So a lot of times the comics are like two circles talking to each other because I'm really more interested in like what they're saying than what they look like. When you first started drawing, did you sit down with a piece of paper or did it just start on the computer? When I, I guess when I first started doing designs for Threadless, I was actually tracing stock photos. So I would I would trace photos and then if I sold the design I would buy the rights to the stock photo. For it. <laughs> but I've ne- I've never been like a drawer. I've always been really bad at it. It drives me crazy. Is that why you ended up doing it on the computer? Hundred <laughs> percent. How long have you been doing comics for? Uh, I think since two thousand fifteen. Do you enjoy that form of storytelling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean it's great. It's it's really cool. Yeah. It's like um because it's all right there. You know. It's like a, it's kind of like a movie or something that plays in, in someone's head, right? Um, and there's, I mean, there's so much you can do with it. And I think I, I think I could probably do a book that was 10 times as thick as this with like different things that I want to try out. 
uh, and not get sick of it. Yeah. Do you feel like it would afford you the ability to do something a little, little longer form? I mean, you're aiming for a feature length film, but do you sort of foresee the potential for doing kind of a more sustained narrative in this format? I'd like to. Um, I think the last thing that I wrote was the longest thing I've ever written, which is the 25 page story that's at the end of this book called Dream Cube. Yeah, I would do, I would do a longer one. I'm actually like, I'm really hesitant to ever talk about like what I want to do next because I feel like every time I say that I want to do something or that I'm working on something, it's like instantly dead. Like, like bad things just happen. Uh, so maybe I won't do a feature film. <laughs> I mean, you strike me as somebody who likes to, likes to keep busy. I mean, you have multiple projects happening at any one given time. Yeah, I think it's easy, it's easier to have five things going on than one. Uh, it may just be I, I have no patience, I have a lack of focus, but it's also like, you know, each one kind of is using a different section of your brain. Um, so you can take a break from something that's mm-hmm. not working. And I think it's a generational thing, though. I think a lot of people that are our age are used to working that way, you know, jumping around between different apps and different projects and what have you. How much bleed over, though, is there? I mean, does something ever, you know, begin life as a comic and end up as something else entirely? Mm-hmm. All the time. Uh, the Susan something character that's in this book was originally going to be, well, I had the idea that it would be a TV series. Mm. I pitched it to someone and I thought like each week we would do like a little, an episode and she would play a video game in the episode and then we would also make the video game. Uh, and it, it, they, it just ended up being like too ambitious. And then I had already written out all these treatments and so I turned them into comics. She reoccurs quite a bit and I think she's one of the more compelling characters in the book. Why did you land on her as sort of a, a main character, somebody you wanted to follow a little bit longer? Uh, I think she's an interesting character because she's kind of flat. Like, uh, she's like a, she's a cold person. She's like a really icy person and really like kind of detached from everything. And like, there's a lot of things that happen around her. So she's like a good kind of neutral center for like a lot of different stories. And she's also like, she's the way that she's written. She has like these kind of interests in technology Mm -hmm. and video games, which there's, I mean, there's just so much to say about because like that world is just. It's like so funny and stupid. I think one of my my favorite strips in the book is the uh, kind of the Neopet one. Uh-huh. She she comes back to her Neopet after about oh, and he's like he's moved on, or he's moved on. He's yeah. an old Neopet, and it's he's like, like seventeen years, and yeah, he's gone on. And he and has a beard, had some kids. So you talk a little bit about VR in the book as well. Is that something that you're exploring AR VR? Uh, in the there's a couple comics with yeah. VR in it. One of them she puts on a VR headset and throws up, and the other one she like goes into her subconscious, right? Uh, I made a, I made a VR short film a couple years ago. Uh, yeah, I think it's fun to work on, but it seems like it's not really taking off with people. It seems like people who can't afford the headset will never experience VR. And so it's like not entering the cultural consciousness in any way. So like, I probably won't be doing any more VR because no one's <laughs> going to look at it. You know, it's interesting though. I mean, it, it presents kind of a completely different form of storytelling i mean you have to reimagine it quite a bit if you're doing it from the first person Mm -hmm. that's true um i'm having a hard time of thinking of anything that i've seen in vr that's like really done a good job of like using the natural constraints of vr because a lot of it is either like linear storytelling where you can look around for no reason or like just environmental stuff where you're like in a screensaver basically which is what i did it's a fair point so there's one problem of like people not actually using the technology and there's the other problem of just kind of using the technology for the sake of using the technology but the biggest thing for me is that the headsets are like they're such a pain in the ass like i hate i hate the feeling of like 
basically having it on and there's people around you and they could you know they could just touch you or tickle you they're watching you react to this thing but you don't know what they're doing and you could get caught up in the wires like i realize this is like a lot of this is like really pedantic yeah. and like like nitpicky stuff and like if vr does take off then like i'll sound really stupid for saying that <laughs> but like there's, there's just so many practical things that get in the way of it so it's like not appealing for me i suspect that if vr takes off no one's gonna like go back to the tape on this specific conversation so i think you're probably okay <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the music making because that that plays a pretty important role in the uh, in the video games yeah uh well, I've been making music since I was a kid. I played drums growing up. I was in the marching band in high school. And I was in a band when I first moved to New York. Uh, so, who laughed? <laughs> I was in a really stupid oh, you were, band. You were the guy in New York in the band. Yeah. yeah. So, I, but uh, I just like doing it. And again, it's like, uh, I just, I, I like everything about making a short film or like, or like making a video game. So, I like doing the music and the writing and the models, like, it's it's all fun, so you know why would I let someone else do it? It's kind of an opportunity to, to scratch that itch too, because you've already got the you know the animation. I got there. all this, yeah, I got yeah. all this stuff. Yeah, and I have all these keyboards lying around my house, so yeah, I scratched the itch. Do you feel like you work well with others? I mean, I'm getting this sort of impression. From Obviously, all of these no. <laughs> that that you really like that. Yeah, I mean, you said micromanage. That you really like to build something from you know from from the ground up. Well, no, I mean, uh, like I said, every all of my projects are a collaboration in some way. Mm. Like this book is a collaboration with Fantagraphics because they designed it and made a lot of those decisions. And um, but uh, I just I like uh, I like doing everything. You know, I like and I like that I'm able to do that. You know, with a computer that I can like look at things from so many different angles and like contribute every part of it. You finish all the strips. There's this period of them actually, you know, compiling it, doing press, things like that. I suspect part of the reason why you were able to kind of hand it off to them was because you were kind of done with it at that point. You had moved on to the next project. That's true. That's a, yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, I felt, I, I mean, it's like, it's like, um, it's just like division of labor. Like I knew what my part was supposed to be on that one and like they did a really good job making it and marketing it. So yeah. So you've been working with a number of, of brands over the years. I mean, that is, in a very basic sense, that is kind of a collaboration. Yeah. I, these are, those are easier for me because it's not like, like my identity or like my artistic like sense of expression isn't really tied up in those at all. You feel like you're able to kind of divorce that part of you when you work on that? Yes, I'm very <laughs> professional. Again, you have developed this very unique aesthetic that goes across all of your stuff. So, I mean, you know, if it's like a, a Budweiser commercial or something, it's still going to very much be in your style. That's true. Yeah, I probably wouldn't do a Budweiser commercial. Uh, I, I, yeah, I said no to a cigarette company recently. Uh, I, yeah, don't really think you should use cartoons to sell cigarettes to kids, obviously. But um, I, I, I don't really, see, I don't really see the style that I work in as like. Me, I think it's like it's a methodology, you know, it's like a process for image making that's like developed by me. There you go. That was Julian Glander recorded that one at the book release party for 3D Sweeties at Books Are Magic in Brooklyn. Thanks to them for hosting us. And also thanks to them for recording that up for us. Thanks to Julian and thanks to Fantagraphics for suggesting that live interview. 
Thanks so much to you guys for listening to the show. If you like the program, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify now, YouTube, anywhere we happen to get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. That's the first and best place to get all of your RIYL-related information. That's about all we got for this week's Stick Around because we are going to be back in a few days with another episode of RIYL. 